Thank you for downloading this New Zealand Sports Radio show. We have a new way that you can support us. There is a link in the notes down below where you can make a one-off donation to New Zealand Sports Radio. Thank you for support and uh, enjoy the show. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to the Driving Mall Show here on New Zealand Sports Radio. Hi, I'm Paul and I'll be your host this evening. And uh, boy, oh boy, uh, are there topics to talk about, um, especially in New Zealand rugby with the, the Rugby Players Association and New Zealand Rugby going into mediation um, tomorrow, apparently. Um, so we'll be having a chat clearly about that and the private equity pieces around that. Uh, yesterday, uh, we had the Chiefs and the Blues announce that they're going to be holding a women's super rugby game uh, as part of a doubleheader of their game up at Eden Park on the 1st of May. So we'll have a chat about that. Uh, news has also come out about the format of the minor 10 cup for the rest of the season and also who the All Blacks or what All Blacks tests there may be this year as well. So loads and loads to talk about. And joining me to talk about that kind of stuff, first up is uh, Stephen Harris. How are you doing, sir? You're very good. Thank you, Paul. Always a privilege and a pleasure to be on the TDM, mate. Thank you very much. Uh, and uh, also joining us uh, is um, Boa. How are you doing, sir? Very well. Feels like a precursor for a waterfront strike by the Dockers <laughs> at uh, the Ports of Auckland. I, I, I hope it doesn't come to that. But uh, yeah, wow. When was the last time we heard uh, mediation between the Professional Contracted Players Association and NZR? But hey, I hope everyone is well. I hope everyone is safe for all our listeners uh, across the ditch in Australia, especially Queensland. Stay well, stay safe. Uh, one day into a three-day lockdown. Yeah, I'm not sure. I don't. I, I don't know uh, if that'll have any impact on the um, Super Rugby uh, games. I know that uh, it is impacting the other overball code over there with the Rugby League. Um, the Brisbane Broncos have uh, re-moved um, uh, to uh, Sydney uh, until round five, uh, so that's two more rounds. The Reds are, to, are due to play the Rebels in. Uh, down there in Melbourne next up. Um, so hopefully they've managed to get out before any lockdown has happened. But um, that's uh, the, uh, we'll have to wait and see what's happening there. Evening, Jordan. Evening, Simon. And evening to everyone else who's joining us live. Don't forget, we're here at 8 p.m. live on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. And you can join the live chat there um, as um, well. Um, the uh, And uh, Simon says the Brisbane AFL team were in Melbourne Airport about to fly home, um, but stopped before getting on the plane. Jeez, it just, what a crazy world 
we're living in at the moment. Um, and don't forget also that the show is available as a podcast as well, uh, just through your favorite podcatcher. Um, before we get on to the main topics, though, let's uh, just pop through some little bits of news. Uh, Liam Squire, unfortunately, has a recurrence um, of uh, his uh, knee injury, and it looks like that's going to see him out for the rest of the Super Rugby season. Um, uh, he might be back for my Sink Cup, depending on how that goes. But I mean, uh, Stephen, with having had, uh, um, what do you call it, um, surgery on his hip and also knees last year, uh, it's uh, unfortunately looking like the beginning of the end, isn't it? Yeah, definitely, definitely got that feel for it. I mean, it's like, I, I think it, it seems like he just found his enthusiasm again. But one one thing that's really can take enthusiasm away very, very quickly, and and the stark realities of of being a professional um, sportsman is 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 injury. And um, boy, it, it may be hard to see him coming back. Maybe he. Uh, he uh, basically gets that injury right, and and hopefully we might see him during um, uh, Mighty Ten Cup. A little bit of speculation that he'll be joining uh, um, Dale McLeod's Stags this in 2021. So we'll just have to wait and see, I guess. I thought it already been announced down there. Or oh, it started, might have been, been actually. <laughs> <laughs> so let's hope he recovers and yes, and, and can take part in Mighty Ten Cup. Um, also, Leinster won the Pro 14, beating Munster in the final four. Well, I think, um, I think it's, it, apparently it's like a decade since Munster have, have won a have won a, uh, have won, have won a trophy. Which, um, when you think about them, Bower as being that sort of perennial um, Heineken Cup um, finalists, uh, it's wow! It's, it's amazing that it's a, it's a decade old now. That kind of stuff. It is. I saw internet meme: death taxes, and now Leinster. So, uh, yeah, no, well done and congratulations to them. Uh, I did uh, catch the highlights package, as I usually do with most of the com competitions from Europe. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, a good sort of game. And, you know, you have to um, give Leinster a lot of credit. They've been very, very consistent. And, well, as far as Munster goes, uh, yeah, uh, I, I, I suppose it's, it's something they don't want to get used to. But uh, just looking back at uh, how things have Evolved. It's been, uh, I think, it's been eleven years since they've won any silverware. Mm. Uh, Ten years, right? Yeah, two thousand and eleven. Yeah, so very close. Um, the it will be, but it, but it will be eleven years next year because they're not like to. Um, <laughs> although they've got the they've got the Rainbow Cup coming up, folks. So and they are still in Europe, but I, I must admit I can't see I can't see Munster winning Europe. Um, there, um, Aaron asks also, are we going to talk about Wayne Smith's article? Yeah, we can talk about that as well. Um, about um, uh, the style of play um, as well. Uh, finally, though, with um, Super Rugby, Altaro Super Rugby AU, we've got the Challenge and the European Challenge and the European Champions Cup, uh, Women's Six Nations, Major League Rugby, and Varsity Cup, all of that coming up this weekend. I will post tomorrow my predictions for all of those uh, games. So you can check that out on nzsportradio.com. Uh, that'll, that'll be published tomorrow. So let's get into our first bit of the news. Let's start off with the, um, the announcement of a women's super rugby game between the uh, Blues um, and the uh, Chiefs. I mean, this is something, Bo, we've been asking for for a couple of years now. It seems like a no-brainer, but um, finally we get at least one game. Well, it's fantastic. You know, great opportunity and a good chance to show everyone. You know, um, especially I've, I've been a big advocate of the women's game, especially from a coaching point of view. 
because I think, especially at the senior to elite level, there is more focus on a skill-based game. And you, you will actually see more, um, you know, very subtle skills in the women's game as opposed to the men's game because, you know, as, as, as we all see, there's lots of uh, crash and bash, uh, a bit of predictability, you know, the 1-3-3-1, the 1-4-4-2 three, three, one, one, four, four, uh, sort of attack structures and shapes. Uh, but whereas in the women's game, you know, you, you, you do see a lot of, bit of uh, uh, quite a bit of flair, lots of strike moves off the first phase. So yeah, this is this is a huge leap forward, and and I guess from a commercial point of view, this this is where the rubber meets the road. Uh, you know, will there be uh, a crowd? Will there be a demand, which has been hyped up, uh, and and we'll and we'll get to see those figures. So I think uh, you know, tremendous stage uh, at Eden Park. Uh, it's it's long overdue. So hopefully they can move from strength to strength. Um, on that commercial side, this is an exhibition game, so, so you people are aware. And whilst there are comments in the sort of press release about uh, the girls are now contracted, this is the next step forward. Uh, the reality is it's just the Black Ferns that are contracted, and there will be uh, it'll be a mixture of Black Ferns and amateurs from the uh, um, the Farrah Palmer Cup teams. Uh, this is an exhibition game, uh, and nobody will get paid for this game. But um, Stephen, um, thoughts? Well, um, there'll be definitely no U-turns from me on that. Uh... This particular subject, guys, uh, definitely a case of uh, testing testing the waters or giving giving it a you know just basically putting it out on the track and seeing how it goes. But yeah, it's it's super exciting as well. You know, if we if we can incorporate, and we know even within the Auckland and, and Northland province and alone, you'd probably be able to put a very very good teams just with those two provinces alone. I would imagine there'd probably be the odd uh, harbour player, but I w- would imagine the majority of the players would come from those. Those two unions. As for uh, as for the uh, the Chiefs team, well, you're obviously looking at uh, once again probably the two unions that would probably supply most of the, the players would be Counties Monaco and also uh, Waikato. So if, if you think about some of the quality that's running around in those two teams, boy, could be well, could think, be a cool um, contest. I, th- I, th- I think you're going to get a fair few from Bay of Plenty as well. Remember Bay of Plenty being the oh, yes, um, of course. The home of the, um, the 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 sevens set up, so quite a few of the girls are, are based themselves out of Taronga um, as well. Um, Taranaki, sorry, it's quite a mouth-watering prospect, actually. Uh, Absolutely, yeah. Uh, the, I mean, I, I think one, I think Gail is probably the only player out of out of Taranaki that will make it. Um, the rest of them, I think, uh, they they have they've got a much younger. Um, and, uh, well, that's well, and she's a sevens player, so she may not be playing. She may be uh, gearing up purely for the Olympics. So I, I don't know if the sevens player is going to be available, but. Um, I've heard from the coach from the uh, Chiefs got their coaching sites. They've got Chad Shepard is going to be the head coach. He's from Counties Manukau. Uh, he also was involved with the Possibles versus Probables game last year and also the um, New Zealand Barbarians when they took on the Black Ferns game. So good to see him involved. Um, La, uh, Latoya uh, Mason from Taranaki, the uh, ex-England um, international um, down there. James Semple, the head coach from Waikato of the women's team, um, and uh, then Mike Rogers from Bay of Plenty. A bit of surprise by that one um, because I thought it would be Rodney Gibbs who was involved in the Possibles versus Probables and also the uh, New Zealand Barbarians, but Mike Rogers was the head coach of the Global Rapid Rugby um, team that they had based down there. So, um, Bowie, I mean, you, you, you know a lot of the coaches in New Zealand, Good, a good uh, couple of good um, experienced coaches and, and some learning their way. 
Yeah, look, no question about it. Now, I uh, before I get to that, I know this has been listed as an exhibition. This will be anything but an exhibition. <laughs> I think I think both these teams will be going at each other's throats. Uh, you know, there's going to be a, a real, real feeling in this game because yeah, you know, they'll want to prove a point. They'll want to prove a point that they're good enough to be uh, viable week in, week out and have a fan base and a following. So there's there's going to be some big hits. There's going to be a lot of collisions. There's going to be lots of razzle-dazzle. And to back it all up, I think a, a really exciting coaching team um, uh, has been put together. And I think we will see a lot of razzle-dazzle because after all, it is super rugby. And as I said before, both teams will have uh, a huge point to prove. And uh, it's, it's, it's a very, very exciting mouth-watering prospect. Paul, I, I was about to say the other really good thing about it, if, if maybe having five teams moving forward, we've realised once again probably the, the Highlanders, will they just start with the four teams, will they? The yeah, so my quote, um, not my quote, just like on blank, um, the um, CEO of New Zealand Rugby, um, Mark Richardson, um, I forgot the right name, he's come out Mark today and said... Robinson. Mark Robinson, sorry, thank you. Um, he's come out today and um, said that um, they're looking at starting a Super Rugby Women's Competition next year with four teams, one from the South Island and then the Hurricanes, Chiefs yeah. and Blues from the North Island. Yeah, that, that makes sense and it probably incorporates the at least the two stronger of the unions in the, in the South Island as well, obviously along with the along with Tasman. But yeah, listen, this, this is another great opportunity for, for some girls who may never get that chance to represent the, the Black Ferns or, you know, or be part of, of a really, really good, um, I'm not too sure how it's, whether it's going to be uh, the professional, I suppose, the silver, how the Silver Lake pans out. Um, we'll probably have a say on uh, in, in terms of how that's, uh, or not so much categorized, categorized, but or how it's financed, I, I should say. But it, yeah, should be really interesting. So Simon said he's not a fan of having them at the same venue as the men's games. I, I, I agree. I think um, four hours of being at one venue is a lot of time for, for rugby fans expecting to turn it for both games. But I think in this situation where uh, it's an, it, it is the, the first game, it'll expose it to, to fans of, of the men's game. Uh, and also it means that Sky um, have all their cameras set up so they can televise it without having to have the ex too much extra cost on um, on top of it. Um, so from um, uh, yet, yeah, whilst I agree with him, I'm not a, I'm not a big fan of double headers as well. Uh, I think in this case, I think it works out. Let's hope that the women get to have their own venues. I think for next year in Super Rugby. Yeah, guys. One thing I have to say is uh, this is probably the start of a, a long term eight to twelve year plan. Um, interestingly. Uh, all the numbers when it comes to participation and growth in New Zealand rugby, all the sets of numbers have seen a alarming decline apart from the women's game. We've had about a 30% year-on-year rise in engagement and numbers over the last couple of years. It's been very, very consistent. Uh, so it, it makes perfect sense for NZR. And obviously, we will be talking about this uh, a little ahead on the show, which is his pending deal, there will be, once this goes through, there will be a significant amount of money being pumped into the grassroots game, so as far as women's rugby go in New Zealand. Um, yep. Um, I, think it's, uh, I think that's pretty much it. I mean, Simon makes a good point here um, that um, 
the successful women's, women's sports in, 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 in Australia by the Big Bash and the AFL, they play, they have separate seasons for the men's seasons even. Um, I don't see that happening in Super Rugby, uh, women's Super Rugby. I think it'd be the same, it'd be a similar season. Um, but um, it is a pathway. Um, oh, I've gone blank. The women's prop from woman prop down in um, Wellington, who talks a lot about um, uh, women's rugby, uh, she made a good point that, look, this is a step that's needed for the W15s that's coming up international games. We need this pathway for our women for, for, for that tournament as well. So, yeah, all heading the right direction at the moment if a little bit slower than, than, than some of us would like. Um, right then, so trying to, uh, let's, let's talk about New Zealand Rugby and the New Zealand Rugby Players Association. Now, I think we've talked about the New Zealand Rugby Players Association before and said how they can be um, uh, a, 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 a bit of a, well, one of the um, one of the most powerful bodies in New Zealand Rugby, um, perhaps even more so than... Um, uh, Alice Soper, thank you, Stephen. That's right, that's the name. Um, even more so um, than the um, the New Zealand rugby at, at times. Um, and uh, and that's caused some issues uh, last year with, with getting things agreed. But um, this time, uh, they've the yesterday, or was it the day before yesterday? Um, the, I think yesterday, a article in the Herald came out that um, a letter had been written by the New Zealand Rugby Players Association, signed off by some of the top All Blacks and some of the top Black Ferns as well, um, saying that uh, they would not be back. They would not be signing off on the um, Silver Island uh, private equity deal for New Zealand Rugby. Um, what has emerged today is that that letter was signed back in uh, well, the, back at the end of January. Um, and I think one of the things that you can tell from that is that uh, if we've got uh, mediation happening tomorrow, where the New Zealand Rugby Players Association, New Zealand Rugby, the Super Rugby franchises and the provinces are all going to be represented. Um, that tells you there's been discussions these past two months, uh, which is good, <laughs> but they have reached an impasse, impasse on this. Um, Boa, you, you, you're better connected than, than, than most of us. Have you, um, is there anything you can say around this that you've heard or? Yeah, well, what what I can say is with this, the, the you know, the whole news about the letter which was written, I mean, Mark Robinson was very clear today when he spoke to the media that uh, lots has happened since then. Lots has changed. And also he he emphasized a point where, you know, we, we, we as in New Zealand rugby cannot con uh, continue in the same way as they have for the last 130 years. Um, I actually agree with Mark Robinson on this one because the face of professional sport is changing very, very rapidly. The one the one thing I have to say, and I hope that he listens to some of the voices coming in from the grassroots sport, that a significant amount of investment from this uh, equity, which is being pumped into NZR, actually ends up being put back into grassroots rugby so that there can be a, a sort of rejuvenation. Because one area, as I said before in the show, where we're starting to see... Uh, numbers rapidly declined is uh, the participation of children, especially at the junior age grades for club rugby. So that, that's that's an alarming trend. Even at my my own club, I'm, I'm starting to see this and clubs right across the country and specifically in Auckland. Um, so I think, look, I think this is, this is a really good opportunity to really get some cash into the game. Uh, all I can hope for is that there is equal representation where and how the money is going to be administered 
and you know majority of it is not just going to be put into the professional game which seems to be the trend pretty much right around the world Stephen, do you want to make a point or, or shall i explain what the deal is i'll tell you what guys <clears throat> listen the first sign of what's folding and um what's folding unfolding tomorrow is uh, <clears throat> is the fact that the mitre 10 cup hasn't been sorted out guys um that basically that basically says to me that the unions have basically said okay can we just tie ho on that just just for now so we can actually see where this particular vehicle is going so i have a funny feeling there's going to be a lot of horse trading uh going on tomorrow morning yeah we, we might let you push through with this deal but this is what we want this is what this is what the face of this competition uh, in terms of how we wanted looking you launched your mckinsey report over a year ago and we've looked at over this when you think about it it's actually the perfect bargaining tool from the from the union so it's it's they kind of hold a little bit of a casting vote shall we say shall we call it from here so yeah i, I just think there's a, probably a little bit of horse trading like i say I don't, i'm sure you'll tell us all a, a little bit more about the deal of course we've seen some of the numbers that have banded it around i i i think it's probably in the interests of of these these unions to be basically just just basically um oh should i say just putting down a, a line in the sand so to speak and they've obviously got a few senior all blacks on involved if you know what i mean but on, on saying that from a from the all blacks point of view about these guys uh talking about giving your rights away and all that sort of stuff uh, you know I'm a, you know i'm a bit nervous when you hear those sort of comments coming from top players because once the when the when the overseas checkbook gets waived well guess what they're usually the first ones to jump ship and as somebody who's been a former administrator not so much in involved in rugby but involved in another sport my my line is my standard stock line is you know whether the, the, the whether the sport are rugby players soccer players netball players whatever they come and go structures however you know, you you pretty much got to have reasonable stands with with your structure. Um, yeah, I think that's 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 what I'm thinking is happening tomorrow, guys. Whether I'm close to it, I could be I could be miles off. The okay, so what we're looking at, we're talking about a four hundred and sixty-five million dollar uh, investment for a potentially fifteen percent um, stake of the commercial section of the uh, sport. Now, so what, what, what this would involve is hiving off um, the commercial sides of it. So your sponsorship agreements, um, the uh, income from the uh, All Blacks for tickets, sales, uh, and uh, those kind of uh, TV deals, all of that would be put into a, 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 into a piece, in, into a separate um, body, uh, separate from New Zealand rugby that would still administer the game and would still look after grassroots rugby. Um, but... The uh, and they would uh, and 15% and of all that income would go off to Silver Lake, and the other um, 85% would come into New Zealand rugby. So, what you're basically doing is you're swapping 15% of your income forever for 895 million dollars now, 865 million dollars. Sorry, now to me, the big question is how are you going to spend that eight that 465 million so that you make sure that you get enough income to cover that 15% you're going to lose every year. How do you invest that so you actually so you get more back 
then you're going to lose. Um, to me, is a is 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 the big question. If you sell something like off off like this, you never get it back. It's gone forever. Um, so, the what are they? What what are Silver Lake? What are the, the people you're selling to? Also, bringing to the party that will grow that income again. So again, you're making more than you lose uh, in the long term, and that you both gain out of that. Are they bringing enough to the party uh, that will see that grow? Do they have enough? Do they have skills and knowledge that you can't get another way cheaper? Um, and to me, so to me, I, I'm not. I'm. I would be against this kind of uh, selling of your long-term income for a short-term money uh, um, uh, pool of money, um, because if that money is then, um, uh, well, the question is, yeah, that once you spend the money, it's gone. So how are you going to spend that money if you if you do if you uh, how is that going to uh, create long-term income for the grassroots if you give it to the grassroots? To me, that that that's where the um, so that, that's what on the, as, as a principle, um, I would think it's a bad move uh, going for private equity. On the whole, I can see that, Boa, you, 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 you've already said you think it's a good move that they need the investment now. Um, how can you persuade me that you think that this, this is a good move that's from a principle point of view, it's, it's, it's not a bad move? Well, a couple of things. Number one, uh, by investing into grassroots, we, I mean, the bottom line is we need to increase our participation rates and participation numbers. To do that, we need awareness and education around the small blacks right up to the junior grades. And there is a there is a big ex exodus of younger players moving to other sports like basketball for a number of reasons. And and guys, we we need simplistic innovation in the. Um, Grassroots game at the moment, what's actually happened is the grassroots game has become stagnant. We really haven't evolved our models, how we approach it from from a game-based model, uh, from how, how clubs are being viable to remain afloat commercially. A number of clubs struggling. So where I see the immediate injection of cash is to identify where these struggling clubs are and work with the 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 provincial union as as well as NZR so that the money gets put into the club and there is a plan on how they can pull themselves back to financial viability. So this would mean, you know, up educating, upskilling administrators, coaches, getting new gear, uh, a new recruitment drive for participation, getting more rugby development officers in the uh, provinces and grassroots. So there's there's a lot which can happen. And for this, you don't need a... Uh, enormous amount of money. You just need to make sure that you have a very strong plan. And of course, you know, by forcing the ownership model, uh, you know, the union will now have to uh, force themselves to take on new innovation and new ideas. I mean, having 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 tried to get safe tackle framework across the line with pretty much everyone, I, I can firsthand tell you that uh, they just don't want to change. Uh, there is a significant amount of resistance to change. So this, what this model will do is bring some of those innovative ideas into the fold and actually force change. So that's why I am all for this, and that is why I'm arguing that this is a wonderful thing. I, okay, I, I'll, I'll agree with you on all the problems, and I agree that we need this, that we need innovative, innovative solutions. I just don't see how a bucket load of cash into a, in, into an organization that doesn't like to change 
will necessarily make those uh, innovative changes happen, and how much of it will we just be just paying to make sure that the old model just keeps rumbling on? That's that, yeah, that, yeah, yes, that, 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 that's my, that's my worry. I understand your yeah your, your point of view. Say, hey, look, it's got this cash in there. It will force change because there's, an, there's another there's another voice in there forcing change as well. Um, Stephen, which as having heard both or having heard two sides, where, where do you fall in this? I'm, I'm pretty. I'm very much with 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 Bohr. I, I believe money has to go back into the grassroots game because you know sometimes you got to listen to what parents parents are saying. White kids are falling off the radar. The radar. It, it's because it's too physical. Well, we actually you need a bit of education and understanding about you know safety safety being a big part of the game. That's why I actually quite like Bohr and I. I must admit we had a really good hour conversation last last Friday about it, and we pretty much sing from the same page. You want these kids to come through and feel safe playing the, playing the game. We all know that's what's happening at the moment. It's falling away. When kids fall away, not only the kids that fall away, but the parents fall away. Those are the people that go to the club rooms. Those are your next level or tier of volunteers that that help the game. I'm not, it's not, we're not talking about a phenomenal cash injection, you know, because quite, quite frankly, I'd rather see the All Blacks take a few hits, wait another 15, 20 odd years to win another World Cup, but rather see the game strong across the board because that top level will eventually take care of itself. Um, in terms of other sponsors out there, I don't see a lot of other sponsors knocking on the on the New Zealand Rugby Football Union's door at the moment. So this might be a this might be an opportunity to go. Okay, maybe we don't want to sell our soul yet. Boy, you know, other other sponsors might go. Well, hang on, they Silver Lake offered them this money. What? Why? They, okay, there's, there's a difference. There's a big there's a big difference between equity uh, and, and a private equity investment and sponsorship. And I don't think. And whilst AIG is stepping away at the end of this year, uh, having talked to people in the sponsorship industry, uh, New Zealand Rugby will have no problems um, replacing them as sponsors because because of the strength of the All Black brand. So. It's not really about sponsors. It's about this. It's about. The, I guess I agree with you as well that um, there needs to be change. And now whether it's uh, and uh, to, to keep the grassroots viable, um, I guess the only difference is, is 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 where the money and how we go about making that change happens is is, is a disagreement. But um, but yeah, it'll be interesting. Um, Nocturne Rice says my fear is that private is that a private company will simply want you didn't to follow the American sports model of a small elite of players um, and a great mass of unfit fans. Um, <laughs> um, look, I guess one of the... the uh, so, Okay, so one of the things is that um, rugby has looked at American football since it's gone professional and gone, hey, let's look, look, look at what American football's managed to do. Can we do that? Now, to me, one of the things that uh, American sport has done with the uh, NFL, the NBA, um, the... Uh, um, is they, they've, they've managed the great con of not having to invest any money in the development of players, because it's all done by high schools and universities for them, and then taking these ready-made athletes and then making cash out of them. Now, that doesn't work outside of the USA, because outside the USA, you have to have academies, and you have to develop and grow your own players. So uh, anyone who comes in and goes, okay, we're just going to put the American model onto rugby or football or any other sport in these other countries will find that they'll fail very quickly and hopefully silver lake are bright enough because let's be honest they are very bright people 
um, to realize that actually that's not what they <laughs> they, can, they can't do that. You, um, as I say, I think it's the great the great American con by those NFL, uh, NBA top uh, top teams of not having to invest anything in their development of their teams. Um, I see some nods there from you from you both. Yeah, look, absolutely. And um, if that same model is uh, tried to be replicated here, it'll be absolute failure because you know this. One thing I have to say is, I mean, what what defines success for NZR? What what does success look like uh, for New Zealand as a rugby nation? I mean, is it is it is 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 the all All Blacks winning a World Cup and winning every competition around the 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 corner for the next ten years? Is that the be all and end all, or are we looking at a wider spectrum where there is more investment, more player participation, more communal participation, more parents, more volunteers, more administrators? coming into the game at grassroots level, more clubs being viable. And I'm going to go back to a point which Steve made on how it doesn't take a lot of money for a smaller club in a community to stay afloat. All it needs is the community to come back to the club. Uh, and this is where I think the cash injection will come quite handy and getting the right people in the right seats, i.e. the RDOs, making sure that they take the message to the community, get those players and participation rates coming back. So, it's look, it's going to be a very interesting, um, I'd say, next three to four years will define how this whole strategy is clearly laid out and how it is executed. Um, I'm, I'm very positive. I'm very much pro for change. I'm very comfortable with change and I... I I've always championed this sort of thing, and this this will actually be a shock to a lot of people, especially at headquarters in Wellington. Uh, but I think I think it's a wonderful thing. We we just need to come up with a very clear plan, and there will be some very strong voices from within the key provincial unions actually pushing very hard to get more investment back into the grassroots. Oh, see, and I think the we're, we're on the same page. We both want change. We both want we both want a strong plan. Question is how do we get to that plan? Now you said, um, um, how, how do we? Uh, what does success look for like for New Zealand rugby? And I guess uh, one of the things we talked about um, the other the a few weeks ago was by looking at the executive team, you can look at where New Zealand rugby's priorities are because that's where they've uh, they've got. So you obviously you've got the C, you've got a CEO, uh, which is obviously the Mark, Mark Robinson. You then have a um, general manager of people, safety, and well-being basically HR, which obviously you need. Um, then you've got Steve Lancaster, who covers off on community rugby. So at least community rugby has a say. Chris Lendrum uh, is general manager of professional rugby and performance. Um, you then also um, got um, Darren Shad, which is the All Blacks manager. Um, and then everyone else is we've got a commercial officer. So that's obviously about, uh, about money. Uh, Chief tra Chief Transformational Transformation Officer and Chief Financial Officer, dual role there. So again, money. Um, uh, Chief Information Officer, so that's IT and um, uh, and that's so. Basically, what have we got here? We've got one person for community rugby. We've got two for professional rugby. Uh, two people for 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 for, for commercial or money, and one person for marketing with with via the CIO. So that gives you a balance as to where. Um, as to as to, to where are the New Zealand rugby's priorities? It's around professional uh, money, and then to a lesser extent commercial. Uh, sorry, let's get community zero for women's rugby in there, which is um, which is which I think is an interesting one that we came up with a few a while back, um, or oh, about a couple of weeks ago when we looked at it. So, 
that 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 guides you as to what is what are their focus because um, that's who they who, who's at the top they're making the decisions it is interesting isn't it uh, the biggest growth area in the game which is women's rugby does not have uh, representation at the yep. highest executive table but that is indicative of um, you know many businesses right across the world where for some strange reason and in this case it so happens to be the women's development of the sport um, yeah I mean that's uh, it's a very very good observation and uh, it gives you a very clear idea so Again, all I can hope for is, uh, you know, from a, coming from a grassroots perspective, I'm a champion for grassroots. I sincerely hope that there's significant uh, resource and actually there's resource to train people so that we can actually start giving uh, volunteers in the in the grassroots setup a clear pathway in, in whatever areas they choose, be it coaching, playing, being managers, administrators, holding a bar license, whatever it is, so that there's a very clear-cut pathway so that they can move forward and be in the professional setup themselves. Yeah, there's, there's two oddities to me, guys. The first one is, is in and around women's rugby. Like, for example, when they're talking when they're talking numbers or numbers playing, they will shout that from the rooftops. But obviously, there's absolutely no representation there. They'll also talk a really good fight in and around the in and around the, the safety of, of the game and how the game is officiated, but when there's an opportunity to to listen to grassroots about why numbers are falling away, about why we should be looking at a, at a safe tackle framework, they're very they're very resistant. It's to me, it's very weird because those all they all go hand and go hand in hand, and. It's, it seems like they just pick and choose what they want. Well, you know, whilst there are some things I, I agree with them on, I think that, you know, you talk about a, a ball drop. This is a, a monumental ball drop that they are making at the minute. Yeah. Um, Aaron makes a point that even this show does not have women women representation. Uh, that's very true. We don't. Uh, if there are any women out there who'd like to join us, do let us know. I'm more than happy. Um, put bluntly. Um, look, I think, look, we're... we're, we're all three of us are, are, are big into grassroots rugby. I, um, I, I'm down at um, YHE Rugby Club every Thursday for, for, for training, uh, and I'm also videoing uh, their senior A's game. Um, Boa, you for many years uh, have been involved with the um, Manukau Rovers uh, as their technical um, consultant and, and coaching in there. Um, uh, and we met down at Manukau Rovers as I came down to cover one of your games. Um, and that's how you've also come across Stephen. He also gets around the uh, Auckland club scene and also Northland club scene um, as, as well, getting, getting into get, get, seeing lots of clubs. So we're, we're all very pro grassroots um, rugby. That's very, that's, so yeah, that's, um, uh, that, 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 that's very true. Um, look guys, I'm not sure there's much more to say about this one, apart from it'll be interesting to see how mediation goes tomorrow. Um, or, or if, if we hear anything out of that, um, I think there's about a month, a month to go until, the um, provinces all um, uh, have a uh, meet up and have a vote on this one because at the end of the day, uh, the uh, New Zealand rugby is um, uh, kind of owned, as it were, in 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 quotes by its pro by, by the provincial unions. Uh, the provincial unions will vote on whether uh, this Silver Lake deal goes through or not, uh, and it's a simple majority. Um, so, if fifty point one percent, I'm not sure how many. I don't, I don't know. How many unions there are 
but if, if basically if more than half of them vote yes, this deal goes through. Um, apparently, it looks like it might need the Rugby Players Association to sign off as well. Um, but um, uh, yes, there's, there's still about a month to go before the deadline, before that vote. So I'm, I'm sure. So if you don't hear anything tomorrow, don't worry. There's time, I guess, is my is my message to people in general. Look, I, I, guys, I think the deal's a done deal. This this whole is this whole process is uh, managing <laughs> managing everything. I think I think it's done because the the, the reality is a game to survive, i.e., the NZR to survive. They need they need the coin. So um, yeah, we'll wait and see. There you go. Uh, Arun yeah, says, "Money, money." <laughs> <laughs> And New Zealand rugby is, is by no means um, unique in this situation, right? Um, we are seeing games being being played and being forced to be played in Europe in situations when they shouldn't be being played, to be honest with you, um, due to COVID, um, because um, because they need the cash and they need that TV cash. Uh, the uh, the whole point of the whole reason that that uh, uh, France Scotland game got delayed and actually played rather than cancelled was purely down to money, um, and the, the the unions are basically not being able to give up. Why is the British and Irish Lions going ahead in South Africa this year? Because they need the TV money. Um, all, all of this stuff is... Uh, so this is not a New Zealand rugby thing, um, uh, a unique thing at all. Uh, you're seeing it. I mean, uh, the, the Rainbow Cup will happen because otherwise um, the, uh, the uh, um, Wales, Scotland, Ireland and Italy are all financially in, in trouble, as are South Africa. So... All these games are good. so yeah. Look, this is we're, we're not in a unique situation here. It's it's a it's a stress that's happening um, across uh, across the board, folks. Um, and Stephen, you touched on it earlier, um, but uh, the Mitre Ten Cup uh, is going to have the exact same form. Is going to stick with the same format. Um, New Zealand rugby has been pushing for change now for about twelve months or so, I think, um, really uh, to try and change this. Maybe a bit longer. Um, but they're holding off until next year. As you say, maybe it's down to money. Um, what I found interesting was that um, the Farrah Palmer Cup, which did split into a north-south um, divide, which is what they want to do with the Mice 10 Cup, is reverting back to a championship, to a premiership championship model. So, um, Stephen, <laughs> what, what's the right model? And where's all this going? <laughs> yeah, yeah it, it, it's, it, it's an interesting one. I, like I say, I think there's a bit of horse trading gone on and I actually think uh, the unions have been smart enough to, to seize on an opportunity here um, because I, I suspect if we we didn't have this uh, this Silver Lake deal in front of us, I, I think the rugby union would, would have probably just forced the unions into into a change of sorts. So I think uh, they've got that hanging over them. I, I just I just got a funny funny little suspicion suspicion about it. And I, I quite like the fact that the um, that the women's game, the Farrah Palmer Cup, has gone gone back to the the original uh, original format because I, I do think there were probably if you probably look at it at the at the end of the day I'm I'm not sure if we actually saw our four best women's team in that final based on uh, based on the on the regional setup that they used in uh, in 2020 guys and um, listen I'm I'm not too sad sad about it I like I actually like the idea of that. I like the idea of the Mighty Ten Cup and the, and the way it's the way it's split. I just I just think at the end of the day, a lot of these unions have just got to be a little bit more careful with their costs. Obviously, one thing I agree with is the fact that uh, 
rugby rugby unions now have only got to have uh, uh, 15 player union development contractors contracts on their book as opposed to 45 50 not not great news for Auckland but boy these man these these probably 60 or 70 grand just saved just just like that I think you just, I think they've just got to be a, a little bit more wise in your in your spending listen that, at the end of the day I think there's enough enough good players around you don't have to lock all the all the players up on on contracts yeah i agree um, i agree wholeheartedly i think steve you make a very valid point uh, i mean from business point of view every time you take a dollar out of the business you got to think twice and we are we're in that sort of era at the moment you know so there's no need to sort of buy up the whole entire roster and you know i i, I can look at like, i can look at so many competitions right around the world where uh, the big spending club owner will buy 40 contracted players out of which 37 are you know uh, proper test caps and only only 23 can play on, on on game day so you know the unions i think and and from a policy point of view nzr have to make it very clear to the provincial unions that you know there there would be some guidelines put around the, the put around the recruiting and what they can and can't spend so maybe all that will get sorted after this deal goes through yeah it's funny interesting I, look the, the women's game clearly the five cup clearly uh, is a lot less mature um, than the than the minor ten cup minor ten cup because um, you've got provinces like Tasman uh, that have only been around for a few years. Uh, Taranaki's I think like maybe into the, this will be the third third season I think it is. Um, and so look, there's um, uh, and um, I mean either, even Northland did very well last year. Um, only uh, I think it's only their second season uh, that they had a team in the Farrah Palmer Cup. Um, the maybe they had one before, but that's that's uh, in in recent times that is. So uh, look, it's. I think a I think a, a championship and premiership a premiership and championship is very much needed in that situation where you've got brand new teams being stood up um, that against really uh, against um, teams that have been around for 20 30 40 50, 20 30 40 odd years um, that have got much that have got uh, a lot more institutional knowledge about playing so um yeah I do think it's uh, I, I think it's the right model there for the, for the minor 10 cup I like championship uh, premiership championship because otherwise I'd never get to see Southland play, right in the flesh, because they would never play a team up north. Um, so, um, if uh, I, I wouldn't, so basically around half the teams, I would never get to see play. Um, now, I'm let's be honest, I'm uh, the exception rather than the rule because I get to a stupid amount of, of my ten cup games, um, probably more than anybody who isn't paid, who isn't um, employed by Sky. Um, put bluntly, uh, including New Zealand rugby people. Um, but um, the uh, so yes, yeah, so I, I am the exception to the rule. I get that, but it does mean Auckland fans could go, well, would go forever, and never seeing Southland, never seeing Otago. Sure, they would see Canterbury and Tasman occasionally uh, for finals when they got to host them, but otherwise they would never get to see those players in the flesh, and I think that would be sad personally. Um, Paul, isn't it? So, isn't it great? Isn't it great to? You don't have to be. Isn't there something very, very special? Dare I say it? When you do see one of the big dogs get knocked off by a by a, by a, by a Southland or one of, one of those small those smaller provinces, and you, and, you, and you just go, "Wow, these guys have got nowhere near the the player base of of their, their big city brothers." But you know, for a lot of those guys who go and represent a Southland or a Manawa Manawa Two or a Northland, boy, that could be the biggest game they ever ever 
ever play. And, and for those supporters, you know, supporters who support those teams never forget those victories. Boy, let me tell you, I, I know from experience um, my, myself how, how important it is. Yeah, I mean, look, Manawa too this year I mean, with with Brett Cameron and a couple of other signings. They're looking pretty. They've they've been in the doldrums for a few years, but um, I wouldn't. Uh, uh, they've, I've said they've signed a few players. I wouldn't write off um, uh, Manawa this season. Um, probably a bit, probably better off next year when they've when they've had some time together. Um, but Manawa too could be um, much. I think it's going to be a much tougher prospect than people are expecting um, this season, for example. So, um, yeah, it's. Uh, uh, I say I, I I like that color, and I think would lose some color of uh, of the of the oh. tournament by by splitting it north south. I get that it saves on um, travel costs, um, and that is important. But I think what's more important really is that these unions need to figure out how to get people through the turnstiles, and how to increase their how to increase their the um, how to increase the uh, the, people, the spectators at the games. Does it mean taking games round to regional club rugby? Uh, regional um, uh, to club grounds and helping clubs develop their grounds so they can have a thousand people, two thousand people, maybe even three thousand people at a game in uh, at, uh, at club grounds. Is that the way to do it? Now, uh, for for someone like Auckland, where everyone can travel, um, it's uh, to travel to Eden Park or to a to a set venue. It's not such a big deal. But for Northland, you're looking at a five hour drive, top to north, right? Who's going to do a 10-hour round trip to go watch a rugby game? Um, people down in um, in Wellsford, people at, I, I've got no idea what's the name of the, the most northern town in Northland, um, Stephen. But um, Southland, similar, very big areas. If you don't take the game to these people, they're never going to see, uh, never going to see these games. They're never going to get inspired by that. Um, so I do think um, that, uh, that, that, yeah, that's a lot more work, a lot uh, more innovative work by the provinces could be used to get out to to, to increase their fan base, um, personally. Um, but I think we're probably I'm probably on, on on a soapbox here ranting about stuff I've ranted about many times before. Um, to be, that, to be that, that's okay, Paul. We we still <laughs> love you, so it's all good. Yeah, yeah but and we agree with you. We we totally agree with you. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're 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 talking to two of the biggest converters, so. Yeah, yeah, I'm talking, yeah, yeah, exactly. This is why I allow you on the show is because yeah, you agree with me. Um, the, um, yeah. um, so the final piece, oh, or another piece, actually, yeah, two more pieces we need to talk about. Um, first up, um, the All Blacks. So uh, this year is it's a hundred years since the All Blacks played their first ever game against the uh, Springboks. It's also their hundredth game. I think first off, wow, they average one game a year. And when you consider at the moment, they've been playing up to three or four games against each other recently. <laughs> it's not going to be 100 years before they play the next 100 games, is it, Bella? No, no, not at all. And, uh, well, it's, well I, I'm, I'm going to have another crack at uh, uh, World Champions in Reading. Uh, you know, I was looking at the... I was, I was looking at the rankings and, you know, whenever the rankings come out, England has gone up one place to number three. There was a, there was a lot of chatter on social media about it. Um, yeah, look, but in all, in all seriousness, uh, nothing actually replicates the intensity of a all-black Springbok test match. And I think uh, uh, from purely from a rugby fans' point of view, um, it's, it's, it's amazing to watch, even on live television, uh, a game played between the box and the all-blacks. Um, 
in South Africa, a uh, uh, place like Durban or um, even the Highveld in Loftus. You know, th that intensity, that rivalry. So the sooner we can get this show back on the road, the better it is. Um, and hopefully South Africa will drop down to number two as well in the process. <laughs> Maybe that's why they don't want to play us. <laughs> so Aaron asks, how has England gone up? England's gone up because they beat France, basically. That's, that, that, that's your answer. Um, they had a really poor Six Nations, but they beat France. And I, th I don't think they actually lost by big amounts. Um, so, um, so yes. Um, uh, Simon makes a good point there that um, the Battle of the Bays would not be allowed with a North versus South, or would not be, would not take place in a North versus South um, format. So uh, perhaps Battle of the Bays would turn into a preseason a preseason warm up game. Oh my word, that'd be uh, that'd be uh, that'd be a uh, be, be a sad day. Um, so those those sort of things. Um, so yeah, so New Zealand rugby reckons or is hoping that um, they'll get to obviously play that hundredth game. Hopefully here in New Zealand, they they have not bid to host the rugby championship entirely here. Um, they are hoping basically for a uh, a, a um, for a, a travel bubble with Australia, I think, and for the rugby championship to take place in Australia and New Zealand. South Africa have said they do not want to host any, or they're unable to host any rugby championship games this year. Um, I don't know what uh, the situation is with Argentina, but um, from what I understand, it's not some, um, I don't think it's looking good there. So uh, yeah, I think a, a trans-Tasman rugby championship this year is is what uh, New Zealand rugby are looking for. They're also hopeful that they'll get Italy and Fiji both into the country for mid-year tests as well. Um, Fiji I can definitely see happening, um, but um, Italy will have to wait and see. That's uh, a bit more a bit more questionable, I think. Um, the uh, I remember my dad waking me up. So it's Aaron here um, back in the day to watch All Blacks versus Springboks with the refs always beating the All Blacks. Dear me, so clearly bashing of refs is is, is not a new thing. It's actually a tradition. <laughs> um, it's 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 in our DNA, Paul. It's in our <laughs> DNA. <laughs> and and look, he makes a it's a great point. I look me personally. Um, one of the great joys of being a All Black fan is waking up at about four in the morning to. Watch the test live in South Africa. The build-up, the the pre-game chatter, uh, and you know the South African panel—they're always very biased. They always, uh, in some form or shape, label the All Blacks as cheats, especially when Richie McCaw was playing. Uh, but you know, it's it's an experience within an experience. Waking up nice and early in the morning and then going back to bed around about seven o'clock on a Sunday, uh, knowing that the All Blacks have beaten the mighty Springboks. Yes. Aaron, I was about I was about to say Aaron. Yes, I remember my dad waking me up as well. But that was to go and milk the cows while he watched the test match. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're so so hard done by uh, by, by, by Stephen. <laughs> there in me. Um, did, did, did he let you have it on the radio while you while you're milking the cows? Yeah, the cows I, I, I had to settle for while it was we had the one wireless. Of old wireless that took <laughs> yeah, took yeah. a while to warm up, and you saw the bombs. The, the, yeah, bright, yeah, the, brighter, yeah. the, the brighter the bulb, the brighter the bulb got, the, the louder the radio got. You remember having one of those, those, those wireless, and, and all the <laughs> wires were exposed. I I, I still yeah. have one of those. I've I've got a couple at home, in fact, and they're they're solid as, and you know, bring brings back all nostalgic memories. Well, the sort of thing you used to hit 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 a uh, hit a burglar over the head um, to um. To watch. <laughs> 
Austin says he remembers his brother waking him up to watch. Oh, that, that might be Aaron. Um, oh, <laughs> 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 uh, dear. Uh, so Dr. says, when I was a kid, I got a copy of Men in Black and was staggered that the All Blacks um, had seemed to win all the tests all the time. Um, <laughs> Uh, I don't know what that uh, what Men in Black was. I don't know, um, that's obviously being being a, being an immigrant. I think I think Nocturnal Right should check out who see who the referee was. This <laughs> 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 uh, New Zealand player that I hope you might find it was one Pat Murphy or PJ Murphy, and uh, yeah, yeah, they reckon that he only actually had they reckon he had knife arthritis in the uh, in the left arm. His arm only went one way. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So, yeah. oh dear. Um, so uh, finally, um, uh, Wayne Smith has been having a chat. Uh, he was on the breakdown um, the uh, the other night. Uh, the breakdown where, um, uh, actually, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I forgot to mention this was. Uh, so John Kerwin um, urges the players to trust the New Zealand rugby will do the right thing for the game. And um, geez, look, if uh, <laughs> if an organisation has sold you up there so many times. Um, I'm sorry, JK, but look, just say, oh, trust them. They'll they'll be good. It'll be good. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> you, you can see the two e billboards popping up all over the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh man, dearie me. Yes, uh, when, when I heard him say, I was just like, oh, jeez, no. Anyway, um, Wayne Smith did talk about um, his time up in um, uh, 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 about how he plays the game. Up with Kobe Steelers and how uh, it's the first time he's been allowed to sort of implement the game plan he actually wanted to play, which is interesting um, considering that uh, obviously he uh, is considered one of the best um, All Blacks technical thinkers uh, as, as a uh, as, as a coach. Um, that uh, that he never was actually allowed to implement how he wanted to play until he went up there, which I thought was uh, interesting. But um, he says, "How many phases it takes to score a try?" Um, I'm picking it's probably three or four phases now. When someone like Wayne Smith says, I'm picking, it's probably, that's rubbish. He knows what the stats are. and he knows that he, He's not pulling that one out of his ass to say, oh, yes, it's, oh, I think it's this. Um, so he reckons about, about three quarters of tries um, come from within three or four phases. Um, and so he says that you need to be more effective and more efficient in those phases um, and that multi-phase attacks aren't the way forward um, for, um, for scoring tries. Um, and that... Um, Keeping the ball alive, um, and um, is, uh, is 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 what he's really happy about watching the Highlanders play, and he thinks that they're actually perhaps the most innovative of the of the uh, of the sides playing at the moment. Some thoughts on that, guys? Yeah, Paul. What I I, I fully agree with uh, Smithy. What, what's actually happening is, I mean, a good friend of ours, Dave Moffat, to us on the show a while back. <laughs> he alluded to this about the McDonald's version of rugby, where it's very robotic. So one three three one. Soon as you get the ball, you go into these shapes, and next thing you know, it'll be triangles, squares, and octagons, and blah blah blah. It's very boring. It is very monotonous, and I fully agree with it. If you look at how France played their rugby in the Six Nations this year, they scored eighty percent of their tries within four phases. That's because they trusted their attacking instincts and they went for strike moves. We don't see this sort of trend. Anymore, unfortunately, in, in mostly in international test rugby as well as even super rugby, it's this whole phase after phase after phase. It takes a lot of discipline. And don't get me wrong, you know, it is it is it takes a high degree of skill to be able to implement that sort of game plan with the players you have. Uh, but you know, everyone plays the same game, and there's 
there's not much imagination. I'll tell you something very interesting. I was talking to uh, absolute former All Black superstar. I'm not going to name names. He told me something very, very interesting. He says, Boa, the time New Zealand as a whole has gone away from playing what I would call real rugby. So I said, well, what does real rugby mean? And he said, real rugby is, you know, you, you call a strike move, you back yourself and you score a try and you just listen to all the people clapping because they appreciate and understand what you've done. So, yeah, whilst uh, that may stay true, you know, I, I, I have to say, you know, the game's evolved quite a bit with, you know, defences being a lot more structured. But, you know, coaches really need to be a lot more creative when it comes to their attack and use some flair. Um, and I think that's where a team like France has really shown up the entire world on how to play good rugby. And I'm, I'm, I'm completely with Smithy. We're seeing this uh, in some of the Japanese top leagues, uh, attacking patterns. Most teams are scoring well within the first three phases because, again, they get a set move, they go for it, and they score a try. Now... There's a big difference here. So, so one of the points here is that um, that, that, that a lot of people say is, oh, oh the players are overcoached, therefore they can't blah blah blah. Now, um, this to me is absolute is is is, um, uh, is 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 rubbish. What you're actually saying is they're coached into a conservative game plan, rather than they're being overcoached. No, they're not being overcoached. They're being coached into doing things in a way that is a conservative game plan that goes through phases. Uh, you can uh, you, you can equally coach people the same amount, but just give them more options and give them the choice of what to do. Um, so do you run, uh, when you have that pot of three, do both those players run a clear out line where they cannot get the ball, they cannot get the ball alive, or does one of them, or do both of them run an offload line rather than a clear out line? Now, clearly, it's a higher risk strategy running, those, uh, running an offload line because a guy might not be able to get his hands free. But one of them keeps the ball alive and makes something happen. The other one retains possession and is a conservative style. Both of them require the same amount of coaching um, and require the same amount of skills. But one is more attacking and more interesting than the other. So, yeah, I think overcoaching is a very um, lazy way of saying uh, a, 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 an excuse, in my opinion. Guys, I was, was going to say, I, I agree with Wayne Smith with, with regards to the Highlanders. Even look at a champion team like the Crusaders, they will basically systematically break you break you down by being so accurate where they they basically force you into er errors, force you into infractions, where they will just basically ment mentally grind you um, and, 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 and utilise all the things that they do do really well. So they, they pretty much sweat on sweat on mistakes and make you pay for it. Uh, you look at a team like the like the Hurricanes very much a, a off the cuff type type team, but the problem with with the Hurricanes is they probably struggle up front, so they will never be able to to get their share of quality ball to imp implement that sort of game plan. You look at a team like the you look at a team like the Chiefs. A lot of their attack is is built around somebody like Damian McKenzie, and boy, when he's on, he's absolutely on. But you know, they once again they cut up against a better Crusaders team. They get systematically shut down. I look at a team. Like the Blues at the moment, they, they are just trying to systematically shut you down, grind you down through your forwards. The problem with that, you can put so much focus into that sort of sort of game plan when attacking opportunities actually do turn up. You haven't got the accuracy to implement that 
that particular attack. And that's what I do like about about the, the Highlanders. You look at a lot of the games this year, they've only been at times a little bit off. Even if you think back to that very first game where they played the, 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 the Crusaders, man, it was just only little little inaccuracies that, that did not get them across across the line. And yeah, you can just see they are a well coached coach team. And and that's the thing that I that I look at is the is the innovative coaches guys. The only other the only other part. Well one thing I think is unsurprising that, that about the um the fact that being Highlanders is I see Tony Brown as being the successor to to um to Wayne Smith as being the, the basically the, the the number one uh technical attacking coach um in world rugby that's yeah look the only other thing i'd add to what smithy is saying is you know goal kicking um we saw what uh jordy barrett did jordy barrett 30 and the other team was you know no match uh we saw what uh rich Monga did when he when he went nine from nine so you know if we can you know, if you can encourage coaches to be creative with their attacking options and also not neglect one of the easiest ways to get ahead on the points, to, which is to accumulate the points by kicking at goal, uh, it's going to be, a very, you know, New Zealand rugby as a whole is going to be a very, very difficult proposition to beat at any level. So, uh, because this was something which was uh, discussed at this year's uh, coach developer and coach educator symposium for New Zealand rugby. Um, and I was, you know, very, very passionate in, in, you know, voicing that we need to take goal kicking a lot seriously at all levels. And it starts from the very young grades as well so that we can progress that line of thinking all the way to the elite level. So everyone nodded their head and said, yep, yep, yep. And I'm so glad that we are actually starting to see people take shots, of go shots at goal. And eventually that is what uh, is proving to be the difference, especially in some of the Super Rugby RTRO games. Uh, yeah, look, it looks like yeah, the, the, the ball's like honey to bees, a great mass around it for the quick, um, for the quick there was space. Uh, now, yeah, back in the days, it was called the pack because they traveled around as a pack. Now they don't. <laughs> now they just spread out across the field. So calling them a pack is not right anymore uh, because very few teams have a pack. Uh, they have a, a, a number of pods and, uh, and people spread out. Um, yeah, unsurprising that Wayne Smith is, uh, is, is saying things and, and, and saying, uh, and, Putting truths out there, um, there's a lot of people who um, uh, who uh, it's, it's a shame that, um, that he's not involved in New Zealand rugby. Uh, he will be um, uh, it, once his uh, Japan contract is finished up, but um, that will be with um, Waihi Club Rugby. Not <laughs> um, so. Uh, looking forward to Wayne Smith uh, coming down and joining us uh, down at Waihi. Um, uh, there's 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 someone that I wouldn't mind having a beer with after uh, um, after training on a Thursday night and uh, just 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 chatting about stuff. Um, but boys, um, it's been an absolute joy um, having a beer with you guys because well, you might not be having a beer, but I was. Um, I was on the uh, the, uh, the the Moa Station IPA. Um, Stephen, what what beer were you on? Um, I was on the uh, Dark No Sugar Guinness. Um, <laughs> the, uh, uh, so. There, there you go. <laughs> a little bit of fun. And, uh, and Steve uh, and, and Bella? Well, unfortunately, I have no sponsor this uh, season, so I'm looking forward. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe I need to hit uh, independent distilleries and maybe get some Asahi or something like that. Who knows? 
Uh, well, yes. If, uh, if any, if any independent breweries or any or any non-independent breweries would like to sponsor us, we're more than uh, we're definitely open for sponsorship, and we're also we're also open to supporters as well. If you're happy happy to head over to um, patreon.com forward slash NZ Sport Radio, you can become a supporter of New Zealand Sport Radio. Um, and uh, really looking forward to the Super Rugby, well, to, well, to Super Rugby games, which I'll be getting to with, with the Chiefs. Um, I've um, uh, looking forward to the Women's Super Rugby and also Club Rugby because. Uh, I say I will be bringing you reports from um, from Waihee Rugby. Um, Stephen, what are your have you uh, have you decided what your plans for the uh, for the for the club rugby season are yet? Yes, well, I I have this this weekend. Well, first of all, I must say a big thank you to the uh, Wellsford Rugby Club who hosted me last uh, uh, Saturday. Really, really enjoyable and uh, good game of footy to start start the entire power premier and reserve grade rugby for the season that's northland club rugby the sponsors of uh, northland club rugby tire power and uh, of course this friday being a good friday here in auckland i will be heading along to watch the start of the north harbour club rugby and i'm heading along to watch uh, takapuna taking on east coast bays that's a 2 p.m kickoff at uh, onewa domain and on the saturday i could be taking a nice leisurely drive up to waipu to watch uh, uh, kitty kitty <clears throat> Uh, take on the home side, uh, Waipu, but uh, at the moment, a little bit of a question mark beside that one, but definitely heading along to Takapuna on Saturday. Of course, that Auckland Club season doesn't start till the 10th of April. Um, so, uh, Bo, are you, are you, uh, have you got any um, pre-season games then for, for uh, um, Manukau Rovers or uh, or, what you, or, or how, how's your preparation going? Well, there's the Wakanathan uh, happening uh, next week, next weekend. So, uh, as well as the Palad Cup, which is kind of a knockout uh, pre-season lead-up to the Gallagher Premiership. Uh, sorry, the Gallagher Premier Shield. Beg your pardon. Um, and, of course, there's a number of friendlies happening as well. Last weekend, we didn't have a game, so it was the Premiers playing the Premier Development or who you call the, or who they used to be called the Senior Reserve Great. So, you know, boys had a decent, decent enough hit-out. Um, also, one thing I have to say is... Uh, Actually, doing uh, looking forward to be doing a bit of work with Counties Manuka. They're a very progressive union. Um, yeah, they have. Uh, we've had some very interesting discussions around safe tackle framework, and they're actually willing to trial it as a whole in one of their competitions. So, you know, some uh, exciting developments around that. Um, so, I'll keep you guys posted on that. Thank you very much. Um, so, folks, um, obviously, uh, you can join us at seven a.m. every single morning for the morning sports briefing. Uh, tomorrow night, we'll have our rugby league and um, A-League football shows, so that's at 8pm and 9pm respectively, uh, and then obviously as we head into the weekend, we have a Super Rugby preview and post-match reactions to the game, so a cracking lineup of shows here on NZ Sport Radio, um, do have a fantastic week folks, and uh, thank you very much for joining us Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.